Welcome, everyone, to the Fantastics Insider Baseball Podcast. Maybe you're listening to us at insiderbaseball.com. Hope you are. Or if you're subscribing to us at uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts, the Google Podcasts, uh, make sure you do subscribe if you're a client of any of those podcasts because then you'll know when you drop an episode. And we're doing them kind of irregular, irregularly because Sky, Sky Dombrowski is with me. I'm Lou Blassie from Fantastics and InsiderBaseball.com because it's, as we were just talking about, it's chaos. It's Christmas season for us in the fantasy baseball industry. Right now. Oh, no doubt no doubt yeah i know everything's going on and we're trying to get information out and information is just changing constantly so we're trying to help you out in your drafts and one of the ways we're doing it if you're not familiar with fantastics and inside of baseball.com is a baseball blog which is free to non-subscribers and normally what we do during the season is one of the main parts of our in-season service at fantastics and inside of baseball.com and of course in the preseason we have the draft advisory program but we stay with you from first pitch to last pitch and every day we put out player notes and there's usually close to 100 player notes uh, that includes news flow, that includes some injury updates, and then a couple dozen that our writers will put in on a daily basis that gets emailed to our subscribers to keep them up to date on what's going on with the players uh, throughout the season. And it just says, here's what's going on with this guy the last few days, the last couple weeks. This is what it might mean going forward as it changes value during the season to help you out on waiver wires and fab bidding and all that kind of thing. In the preseason, what we do during the season is we put about five of those notes up on our baseball blog, again, free to non-subscribers. So you can check out what we're doing for our subscribers to an extent. But here in the preseason, the preseason notes, which are great, uh, are put up in full. So it's free for everybody to come get all our preseason notes every day at Fantastics. Yeah. Um, it uh, doesn't take quite as long as during the season. I think during the season, I always find that you know, trying to find trends and trying to, to find something that is new and 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 a different way to look at it, some, some players, but this time of year, it's, it's easy. I mean, you just, there's so much to talk about. There's so many things going on that it, and there's so many questions. Oh God. Yes. So many questions. So if you're not familiar with us inside of baseball.com, the baseball blog, great resource for you. And don't just hit the player notes of that day, hit the player notes going back a few days because it's all about, uh, what's going on in the spring and what happened last year and what it might mean for 2023. So it's basically breaking down players, which we do here and on the Fantastics Inside of Baseball show on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio. Uh, but there's a lot of great stuff in there and it's all context relevant, you know, up to date. So you're going to want to get the most up to date information because things change. And let's start out with Jordan Walker. And one of the things that's changing most dramatically is his ADP position. Yeah, I mean, he's flying up. Uh, I think you're going to start seeing him taken uh, in the in the first 10 rounds pretty soon. He's just one of these helium guys that we seem to get every spring. Um, and the Cardinals, you know, they've shown in uh, throughout history that they're not afraid to give guys jobs out of spring that maybe weren't forecast to get them. Uh, Albert Pujols comes to mind right off the top of my head as somebody that really wasn't supposed to get a job, had a hot spring, and never looked yeah. back. The problem with the Cardinals right now, though, is that they definitely have a lot of people clamoring for playing time. I would expect that they're looking right now at a lineup of, you know, Goldschmidt, Donovan, Gorman, Edmund, Arenado, O'Neill, Carlson, Newtbar in some kind of fashion, uh, which doesn't leave a lot of room for Jordan Walker. I think one of the outfielders could be vulnerable, though. And Walker, he's 12 for 28 with three homers already this spring, just absolutely destroying the ball. He hit, I think one of his homers was 470 feet. Yeah. He's just, he's got a ton of power. 
Uh, he's hit everywhere that he's been. You know, last year he put up a 306, 388, 510 line as a 20-year-old in double A. Uh, 19 homers and 22 steals. Kid has power. He has speed. He has, you know, minor contact issues, but nothing that you would think is out of the ordinary for somebody his age. Yeah, that's what I wanted to touch upon. We've been sold uh, contact power and speed, and the power is quantifiable and demonstrable, and I don't think anybody has problems buying into that. He has exceptional power, oh, yeah. uh, both raw power and the game power is starting to come along as well. The speed is there from a result standpoint, and the batting average is there from a result standpoint, but I just looked up the last time I wrote about him in Prospect Central, and it was like, well, you know, he, he's sprint speed isn't great. I don't know if that speed is going to translate to the majors. He does have some contact issues. He hasn't had great contact rates in the high minors. He had good contact rates a little bit lower, but it's always a big jump to the major leagues, especially for a 20-year-old, and how long is it going to take him to get acclimated, and is he going to get acclimated? Do those contact skills really kind of bite him in the ass as he gets up to the major leagues here? Well, I think it, it people that are treating him like he has a really high floor, that's probably a little bit misleading. Certainly um, not at 20, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't see huge contact issues here. I don't. Um, I think that he's a he's a patient hitter. He does wait for his pitch. I mean, his walk rates have been pretty good through the minors. I think it's just, you know, your run-of-the-mill power hitter contact issues. I don't see anything that should prevent him from being an impact player. It's not like a, oh, you know, this guy could very easily have a 230 batting average kind of a thing. Yeah, and be careful of both swinging strike and walk rate in the minors because there are factors involved there. When a guy becomes established like he is, sometimes he gets pitched around a little bit, and that may accelerate the walk rate a little bit. Uh, swinging strike rates may, be, may often be a result of that being pitched around. It's like, well, I'm not going to sit here and walk all day. You know, right. when right. I get to the majors, I'm going to go out and get some pitchers and try to hit them. So that can contribute to the swinging strike percentage. It's going to be really curious to see because he's very young. He's below the age curve of where he should be hitting the majors. And that may be an interesting consideration because I wouldn't, he's only got time in double A and he's only got 461 at bats at double A. He would benefit from what, five or six weeks in triple A, wouldn't he? I mean, the Cardinals got to be thinking that they're a great development team. Well, I don't know. I, anymore, it seems like double A is the ceiling for a lot of the top prospects and they come right from there to the majors. Triple uh, A strikes me as more of a sort of a foray or retread kind of a level right. anymore. So, but you also get more off-speed stuff. You get more sophisticated pitching. And with do. a guy with, that has to vet his contact issues a little bit, they may, may want to see him against some pitchers who are a little bit more developed than the double-A pitchers. Well, I mean, I think you're seeing some of that now. And, yeah. you know, all, all the reviews have been raved so far. Um, I would not be – as I watch him day by day, I won't be surprised if he – wins a spot. I mean, they're not going to keep him up on the big league roster if he's not going to start. So he has to take a spot from somebody. But man, I, I as much as I love Tyler O'Neill, I, I think he, he or Dylan Carlson could be pretty vulnerable right now. Oh, Dylan Carlson is very vulnerable right now. Yeah. Yeah, Tyler O'Neill has said as a little bit of uh ceiling that the Cardinals might want to explore Dylan Carlson. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're a, I wouldn't be surprised if they're, past waiting and i wouldn't be surprised is if this is sell him as high as we possibly can at this point yeah i think that's a fair assessment of it because another year of dylan carlson what we've seen so far all the value is going to be gone yeah and it's dylan carlson is a that's an i mean here's a little tangent but uh I, there's some guys in my house league that were so high on him and i just i never saw it 
Like, I didn't see the power ceiling. I didn't see a ton of speed. I, he was just kind of a, a guy. I and think he I, had this great pedigree. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't see what you're seeing. I think I leveled him to Benedetti. Benedetti yeah, Benedetti. except I don't think his contact skills are as good. No, his contact skills weren't as good. No, but there wasn't an incredibly high ceiling. And when I'm playing with prospects and I love the prospect game and write to prospect central on the site, I'm mm -hmm. going for high ceiling guys. And Dylan Carlson was never that guy to me. No, no, he was more of a high floor guy. And that's like yeah. being a poor man's Andrew Benintendi. That's that's damning with faint praise. Yeah, well, exactly why I used it. Uh, <laughs> because as you know, up here in the Northeast and with the Red Sox, Andrew Benintendi was a Hall of Famer coming out of the minor leagues. So so was every prospect that ever came through. Yeah, you tend, you tend to just work against that a little bit. It's all hyperbole. <laughs> I know. But I, I will say this, though. Jordan Walker, I just recently got sniped on him, and it's the most painful thing in this draft. I was just, I was like three picks away from him, and oh. I was going to take him, and I was just there, and I'm going, ugh. And I, I get sniped. Yeah, this is going to, he's going to be one of these guys that I just don't end up with anywhere because I just, I can't justify paying the cost when I'm not very certain of his playing time. I, I'm starting to get there, but I'm not there yet. In redraft leagues, be careful. In any leagues with keepers, especially if it's a deep keeper league or you have a keeper component for less experienced players, you know, a, a, you know, a sophomore rule or something like that. Grab this guy because he's going to be he's going to be a stud player. He's a 2020 guy at a minimum. I think it, easily a 2025 guy once a 2520 guy once he gets uh, enough of bats under his belt. The 20 stolen bases may fade a little bit over time. But for the first three, four, five years of his career, he's easily a 2025 guy with enough at-bats. Yeah, I think so for sure. And I think there's 30 homer power here. Oh, yeah, I think so too. And it, it could, because we're spotting all this power and he's already exhibiting great power at 20 years old. He's still got physical development left. 470 foot. I mean, I can count on one hand the number of guys that age that can hit it that far. All right, Rowdy Telez in your notes as well. Uh, and uh, Telez, an excellent, I'm sorry, uh, 230, uh, 230 extra at bats in last year's bust out year in 2022 in Milwaukee with 35 homers. Uh, got out of Toronto, got into Milwaukee, got the extra at bats and made good on it. Yeah, I mean, he career best swing, strike rate, uh, standard exit velocity that's uh, at least a standard deviation above average. Uh, he's a big pull guy, so I think the shift rules are going to help him. And he was really sort of unlucky last year in terms of batting average. So I actually think Telez has quite a bit of upside. And this is his age 27 season, or excuse me, he turns 28 this week, next week. So, you know, he's still in his prime. I think Telez, I think there's a little more meat on the bone here. Yep. You know, the power numbers, sure, he's, you know, 35 homers. He's pretty hard for us to top that. But, you know, he hit, uh, he hit 240 in 2021, and I feel like he was shorted a bit then too. You know, his Babbitts are generally pretty terrible. A lot of that is shift related, and I do feel like he's the kind of guy that could hit 250 to 260 with 30 to 40 homers. That's it's huge. It's a, he's a huge player, and he's not being drafted like he's a potential impact bat. Yeah, he deals with the shift, and he also increased his pull rate and his fly ball rate, which is going to cut into his Babbitt a little bit here, but and that change in ballparks, of course. But that 215 batting habit, 215 Babip, he got robbed. He's he's been shorted a little bit. There's going to be a little bit more Babip. That Babip is going to regress upwards. So is the batting average. So it's going to be at least reasonable. And by the way, a plus. And I know the batting average will be increasing as we go along. Increased a little bit last year, and will probably increase a little bit this year. But he's not a negative 
well, I mean, last year with the 219 he was, but he doesn't necessarily need to be a negative batting average contributor. No, not at all. I mean, he, his contact skills are much better than people give him credit for being. He's improved from a 14% swing strike rate in his first couple seasons to 10.5 in the COVID year, just over 10 in 2021, and only 9.3 last year with a drastic cut in his yep. chase rate over the last couple of years too. He's really become a patient hitter. He's looking for his pitch more. Uh, obviously has excellent power. There's a lot to like here. 45% hard hit percentage, 13% barrel percentage, 91 exit velocity, 91.1. That's legitimate power. If the uh, contact comes along and he gets a little help with the BABIP, it's going to be, I mean, he's not going to hit 35 homers because I, I wouldn't be betting on 529 at-bats. It's just that simple. But he gets 480, he's going to be 30 homer plus guy. Yeah, oh, I, I think so for sure. And uh, we talked last week a little bit about uh, using maximum exit velocity as a measure of raw. Yeah. And Telez is one of those guys that he's 12th in the majors in max exit velocity, just under 117 miles an hour. You know, he's in that top tier of power. And I, I think, you know, 40 is certainly possible, but 30 is a reasonable expectation for him with a much better batting average than last year in all likelihood. I'm kind of excited about him. I'll be targeting him. And it's age 28 season this year, but only 1,300 major league at-bats, and this will be his second year of consistent playing time. He's going to be settled into the majors. He can reach a little bit more. He can, he'll can, he feel a little bit more comfortable. There might, might be a little power gear here, that, but I think it's going to show – I don't think it's going to show up in power because he's already showing his power. It's going to show up in contact skills and maybe calm down that chase rate a little bit. Yep, I think so. I, you, you started seeing it last year. I mean, that was a big improvement. Yeah, regular playing time is such a turning point for young hitters and, and a couple of years of it. And again, that psychological psychological aspect of if I strike out three times today, I'm not out of the lineup tomorrow. That helps hitters. Oh, no question about it. Just giving you the uh, the confidence to be able to go through a little week or two slump and know that you're still going to get your playing time. Now, Brandon and I on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio talked about Alec Baum uh, last weekend in the context of um, uh Contact. You and I talked about an exit velocity too. High exit velocity guy, good power. It's kind of Christian Yelich all over again. When's the lift going to come in? Because that seems to be all it's missing from Alec. Yeah, definitely true. And, uh, you know, he's 26 now. This is age 25, 26. You tend to get that last little power spike as guys figure it out and definitely kind of goes in with the 1,000 to 1,500 at bats that you uh, that you talk about frequently. Or in your second year of regular playing time, because again, that regular playing time is such a big, important ingredient. Yeah, absolutely. And again, here's another player that cut his swinging strike rate by a couple percent last year. He's got a contact rate of over 80%. Bohm is a very, very quality hitter. Uh, and he has three homers already this spring. I mean, yeah, you're talking small sample sizes. It's spring training, et cetera, et cetera. There's caveats everywhere. But Bohm is a guy, he does have power. You know, those those exit velocities are, are no joke. They've been well above average every year. So I feel like he's the kind of guy, he can go one of two ways. I would not be at all surprised to see him be a borderline 300 hitter with 15 to 20 homers, where he just doesn't get the launch angle that we're looking for for 20 to 30 homers. But, you know, he did almost double his launch angle last year. And I, I do feel like there's 20 homer power here. Yeah, you can see it coming. You can see the launch angle coming up a little bit, and I think that's uh, that's going to be the big thing. That's going to be the stat to watch with him because he's just about ready to break out. He's got enough power, and he's a quality hitter. This is what we saw with him early, and he's just been more contract, contact-centric contact than he needs to be because, again, he was never established in Philadelphia until last year. So 
if he's got that comfort of, again, I can strike out. Well, he's not going to strike out a couple times. But if I get in a bad streak, I'm not going to lose playing time. That's going to loosen him up a little bit. Yeah, and just what as recently as last year, there was a debate as to whether he or Bryson Stott was going to play third base, and it turns out that they both ended up playing, and uh, Didi's the one that that uh, was cast by the wayside. But you know, he, he was not established at all until partway through last season, I would say. All right, Kyle Isabel, new name to many, um, didn't impress with 256 at bats last year, but. Uh, he's got a well-rounded skill set. Uh, can we look for a, a little bit of a, 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 an, an extra gear this year? Well, I was worried about his playing time, uh, but Drew Waters uh, already uh, tore an oblique, so he's going to be out for a little while, and and that'll give Isbell, I think, the latitude to, as we've talked about, you know, maybe struggle a little bit and still maintain playing time. Uh, he had a nice little bump in exit velocity last year. I ended up above average despite a barrel rate that was sub 5%. Still had a hard hit rate of 44.5%, which is quite good. Uh, it's only 26. Definitely above average contact skills. Swing strike rate of 8.8% is very, very good. Uh, and he can run. I mean, he's, he's pretty fast. He stole 24 bases uh, between the minors and majors in 2021. Stole nine in uh, what, 256 at-bats last year. He probably could get to 15 steals. He probably can get 10 to 15 homers. Uh, the contact rate is so good that I that 211 batting average is just bizarre. I fully expect him to be more of a league average kind of hitter in terms of contact. So, you know, he's going to give you a little bit of everything. I, he's not a bad guy to target late in drafts. It's kind of the player, if we're going to do comps here, he reminds me of the player we thought Lariano was going to be at, at this point, but Lariano never really cut never really topped out that way either you can even go back to ben and because a little bit of speed that's where i thought you were going with it yeah a little bit of speed good con contact skills and they're ex we were expecting more power i mean i never expect him everyone said he was a 2020 guy waiting to happen ben and it happened once maybe i think i'm not even sure don't have yeah. a stat box in front of me but and this guy is not a 2020 guy either unless he somehow ends up with 560 at bats something like that he'd probably approach 2020 but it's that type of skill set and he's a he's a he's got a good bat behind an increasing power level as we saw in the quality of contact should have enough power to to get in the near 20 again with enough at bats the big question is right how many at bats is he going to get yeah i mean i i fully expect him to play full time i think that uh, he's got a better floor than the rest of those guys they've got uh, out there in the outfield in kc and one of the one of the excellent things um that you can kind of look as a tiebreaker sort of a thing is that he's excellent defensively. And when it comes to keeping playing time, getting playing time, those things that maybe are not necessarily important from a fantasy standpoint could end up being important because it can keep him in the lineup. Yeah. And as we've discussed, the game is changing a little bit and defense is becoming a bigger part of it. So defense is, a, is a, you know, before, or, or in 2018, 2019, and 2020 was its own year, of course. But in the height of the power situation, it was like, hit me enough homers, and I don't care how much of a butcher you are in the field. Raphael Devitz is a good, is a good yeah, exactly. example of that right there. You also uh, can't defend the home run, so defense doesn't matter. Right, exactly. So defense was less important. It's like, let's get sluggers out there. It becomes slow-pitch softball is basically yep. what we were playing out there for a while. Defense is starting to become more and more relevant. Contact is becoming more and more relevant. Plays right into uh, Isbell's hands. Yeah, yeah, I think so for sure. And I, the more that I am looking into him over the last week or two, the more I'm talking myself into trying to – grab him as a fifth outfielder in, in deeper leagues. Uh, Logan O'Hope or Logan O'Hop, uh, 
26 homers in minor leagues last year between double A AA and triple A. I didn't, he didn't have my attention until I started opening the box and looking at what he did last year in the minors and the high minors. Yeah. I mean, he's got way more power than, than you would think uh, for a guy that's relatively unheralded uh, and a catcher. You know, and he's actually a pretty good defensive catcher too. So, uh, you know, I, I look at what the angels have available, which is nothing. And uh, I, would be surprised if this kid doesn't end up with the lion's share of the playing time. And I've hardly even heard his name mentioned so far. So I, and I'm kind of intrigued here. It, uh, I've a couple guys that I think highly of in the industry have said that he's their, he's their highest owned catcher so far. Really? Yeah. Well, the unknown, and this is a big thing with catchers in fantasy baseball, the unknown here is how is he defensively, how is he with scheming, how is he with working with the pitching staff, and is it being accepted by the pitching staff? Because that's an element in determining the most important factor with a fantasy offensive player or a hitter, how many bats are you going to get? And the yep. bats for a catcher, especially a young catcher, are going to be determined by how much the pitching staff likes him. Yeah, for sure. Um, he's actually, he's moved all the way up to uh, catcher number 20 in ADP right now. So obviously in two catcher formats, you're drafting him. Um, and, you know, his main competition for playing time is Max Stassi, who for me is absolutely a card carrying member of the backup catcher society. All right. Kelo Mate is a player that he's one of these players that suffers by comparison and by comparison to himself. We see this in, in a lot of the uh, player pool because he had that 32 home, 32 homer, 10 stolen base season in 2019, hit 329. Everybody compares him to that and he doesn't look good by comparison. But if you look past that a little bit of what his actual contribution is, you know, then you can start to get a better idea of what his value is. You shouldn't be looking for 2019 again because that's not going to happen. No, but you look at even as recently as 2021, he only played 90 games. We had 14 homers and hit 318. Yeah. Um, Marte just, he always strikes me as one of these guys like, has anybody done less with more as far as a, as a tool shed? I mean, this kid's got everything. He's got great contact ability. He's blazing fast. Definitely has power. I mean, his, his exit velocities range from slightly below average to the last, uh, last four seasons, throw 2020 out. His last three full seasons, exit velocity is 90 or better. So definitely above average power. Um, it just seems like he's always disappointing. I think he might be reaching for power a little bit because in that season, his pull percentage was the highest it had been in his career, and it hadn't been been over forty percent in one of his minor leagues, uh, one of his major league seasons. But he's been consistently at forty or above forty since, because he convinced himself he was a power hitter, and he was a power hitter. But at a certain point, you have to try to regroup your game a little bit. Yeah, I he just disappoints me in so many ways because I feel like if he just goes out and and hits and doesn't think about, well, I need to lift the ball, I need to pull the ball. He's going to hit 300 with 20 homers, and yep. that's just fine. Well, if you're doing a player A, player B type of thing, or a player A type of thing, and saying, hey, this guy had a sub-20% strikeout rate, nearly a 10% walk rate, uh, swing strike rate below 9, chase rate 30% right about there, and had a 90 average exit velocity with 42% hard hit percentage, you'd be climbing all over to get this guy. Oh, but absolutely. It, but the result stats just haven't been there. Not consistently, but you know, we, we say this all the time. Once you exhibit a skill, you own the skill. And I mean, he, he has 30 homer power. He, he hit 330. You know, there's a lot of talent here. And it just seems like he really gets overlooked. Where, where is he being drafted now among second basemen? He's like 19th. 
People are drafting Brandon Drury and Piero Estrada over Kettle Marte. This just makes no sense to me at all. Yeah, and what happens is exactly what you pointed out, because I kind of did it too. You look at the 2019 stat line with 32 homers and 10, and then you don't see anything close to it. But in 2021, I was only 340 at-bats. Yeah. Give, give him 500 at-bats at that pace, and he's approaching that 32 homers again. And you know he's going to mm-hmm. steal eight or, 10, 8 or 10 bases on top of it. By the way, he hit 318 too. Exactly. You know, a 320 hitter with 20 to 25 homers, you take that every day. Yeah, especially at the price you're going to be able to get him at. So it's something that that's a good dart to throw late in your drafts. Absolutely. He's only 29. He's right in his prime. I, he's just being totally overlooked right now. I, I actually like that offense. I think they are going to be exciting. I know, but I'd still like to get him out of Pittsburgh. I just, you know. He's Arizona. I'm sorry, in Arizona, yeah. You gotta yeah, get him that, out. That whole outfield is yeah. they're exciting. That's gonna be an exciting offense. All right. Alec Manoa is a guy that we're having trouble. He's being drafted by like an elite ace, and last season was certainly a great season at 224 and 99 whip and 31 starts. But uh are we are we going too hard, too fast on Alec Manoa here? I think we are. Uh, my my biggest issue here is twofold. Number one. You know, he really outperformed his XFIP last year. Uh, XFIP of 397, his ERA was 224. So people are looking at one thing and not the other. Add in the fact that he's a, a right-handed pitcher that does get pulled by left-handed bats, and they're bringing that fence in 16 feet. Uh, I, I have reservations here. Um, you know, he doesn't miss as many bats as you'd like to see. He allows over 40% fly balls. And get, last year got pulled at 45%. Uh, this is a prescription for some some issues here. Um, and I just don't understand why he's being drafted so early. Like I, I get the arm talent, you know, he's he's got he's got some nice stuff, but being drafted 16th when you've got Zach Wheeler, Luis Castillo, Kevin Guzman going yeah. behind him, I, I'm not seeing it. And it's hard to criticize the results because but strikeout rate isn't overwhelming. He had decent control last year, but not outstanding control. He keeps the ball in the ballpark, but I'm wondering now there are going to be changes in Toronto as well. And I'm wondering if that 7.1% home to fly ball rate is sustainable. His quality of contact numbers aren't bad. He's controlling contact. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's just hard to get a feel for him because the, as you said, XFIP 397, 224 ERA, the skill set doesn't, tell you that he's a 224 ERA guy but for me the big thing is can he keep the ball in the ballpark because he doesn't control walks quite well enough and doesn't strike out guys quite well enough yeah uh, that is where to, to the value is for his draft there. position he does it well but for his draft position those numbers aren't quite right either he's being drafted as a borderline ace and that i no. do not see all right dylan cease is being drafted as an ace everywhere had an ace season last year uh, despite all the dysfunction in Chicago, but uh, we've asked this question before, and I'll we'll go at it a little bit later in in this spring in the preseason. Should we be drafting him as an ace? Is he an ace? I I would be much more comfortable with him as my second starter than my first. Yeah. You know, the the control is just poor, and he really benefited from an abnormally low homer to fly ball rate last year. He did a much better job in controlling hard contact last year. So that definitely enters into it, but boy, an eight and a half homer to fly ball rate is, is quite low and he does allow a lot of fly balls, 44%. So I'd expect that to kind of revert to the mean a little bit this year, 
The XFIP 350, that's, you know, maybe a reasonable guess for what he's going to come up with. Last year's ERA 220, I'm certainly taking the over on that. And, of course, as we get to the three things that we look for in a starting pitcher, and we'll have to adapt this as the game adapts a little bit, are the three things I look for. Can you strike out guys? He can strike out guys. Do you mm -hmm. control the walks? He has issues with walks. Can you keep the ball in the ballpark? He's done well the last couple of years, but before that, he had some issues. And even at the rate he walks, guys, I think he's got to do – he's got to repeat 2022 to be effective – and that was the result of an 8.4% homer to fly ball rate in Chicago, which was well below his baseline and well below the 11.3% the year before and 18% the year before that. That homer to fly ball rate's got to come up a little bit. The homers have got to come up a little bit. That's where we get back closer to that XFIP of 350, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's always runners on base because he's always walking people. So, you know, a couple extra home runs and, well, you you know, it's funny that, you know, we talk about Dylan Cease, and did you see his start? I think it was yesterday or the day before. No. You don't see guys giving up 11 runs in spring training games very much. <laughs> well, he was working on something, right? <laughs> he was working on something. Invariably, he was working on something. <laughs> so that would be the, my line, I'll tell you that. He had the 82% left on base percentage and that 8.4% homer to fly ball right there, and the 260 BABIP was, you know, okay. That's not particularly favorable, and there's going to be some variance there, but that left on base percentage – went up because he was fortunate with the home runs, keeping the home runs in the ballpark. When those revert a little bit, he gets closer to three, three and a half in ERA, right? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. All right, Christian Javier, I love the way you put it in the article. He's among the guys who we like less in, than the consensus. We're much lower on Christian Javier than the average draft position seems to be on him. And he is hot. He has great numbers, year-to-date numbers, and we encourage people don't stop at the uh, – Full season numbers from 2022. Look at it a little bit. Had a great finish to the season with four great starts. Everyone remembers that as well. So uh, we a little bit overhyped on Christian Javier at this point. I, I think the general community is a little overhyped on Christian Javier. And I think, you know, we, we have a tendency as a species to really be, you know, what have you done for me lately? And, and everybody remembers his stretch run and the playoff performances last year. And I think that that just gives him that little bit of extra when you're comparing him to, oh, say, Zach Gallen or Joe Musgrove or Logan Webb, you know, people remember what Javier did in the playoffs, and that just gives him that little bonus over the other guys. But, you know, Javier does not control quality of contact particularly well. He still yeah. walks quite a few guys, and he gives up just a boatload of fly balls and somehow was able to have a BABIP of 228 and a strand rate of 83.6% last year. That's a lot of good fortune. And I think the XFIP being a full run above the ERA of 254, I'm much, I see much more of a mid-threes ERA pitcher here in Javier than a mid-twos. And he trimmed the home run to fly ball rate. Some of that is the fly ball rate went up. He does give up a ton of homers. And the quality, he made some gains in quality and contact. I don't want to take this all away from him. But you were right. There's there's some tailwinds there and some help with him there. And the big thing is, if he's going to walk that amount of guys, can he keep the ballpark? Can he keep the ball in the ballpark to the same rate he did last year? And I think that's an open question. I'm not ready to like say he hasn't made some gains and there weren't some uh, skill gains, especially in quality of contact. But I think there was a lot of good fortune. I, basically, I'm skeptical. I want to wait and see because I think that home run rate comes up. I think the home run, the fly ball rate comes up, and at that point, the ERA comes back closer to what we, closer to what we would expect out of him, which is a three and three and a half ERA guy. 
Oh, for sure. And, you know, he's he allows more fly balls than just about any pitcher out there, 57% fly ball rate. So if that home run to fly ball rate normalizes, that's going to be a lot more runs being scored. I'm just – I'm really leery here. I, I would not want him as my number two starter, and that's where he's being drafted right now, 22nd among starting pitching. Uh, I just – I feel like that's five, ten slots too high. So there's a couple jobs here in the preseason. We've talked about it a couple times as we've as we've gone through it here. One of which is what is the player going to be? What is he going to do? What is the result stats going to be like? And the second question is always what are you going to have to pay for it? And in Christian Javier's case, in um, in uh, Dylan Cease's case, I think the price is just too high. At the price you got to pay, you're not you're not making money. You're probably losing money. Oh yeah, I mean he needs to basically have everything go perfectly to meet your expectations when you're drafting them at that level. And, you know, we have Javier ranked 38th among starting pitching, and, and I feel like that's much more representative of what he's likely to provide. So a lot of times our attitude, like, I, like I've tried to do when we've been talking about it, is where we feel like we're down on Christian Javier, and it's more a case of when you start to look at the price you have to pay for him. If yeah. in a different price point, at a different price point, Christian Javier made some gains last year. We can look at the optimistic side of it. And he's got some skill sets. He's working in an organization that's good for pitchers. So there's every reason to believe at 25 years old, he gains some skill set. It's just a matter of the price you have to pay. It's a big risk. Well, yeah. And, and that's, you know, we talk about profit centers and things. And you win leagues by drafting people that vastly outperform their draft position or, you know, for an auction, they vastly outperform the dollar value attached to them. And if you're drafting Christian Javier where his ADP is right now, how do you get any profit out of that? You don't. And you can't. It's no. not possible. Right. Uh, while we're working on pitching, let's talk about Domingo Herman, who you talked about in, in the notes column there. And being a Yankees guy, I always like your opinion on this. And Herman is something, somebody that also kind of, suffers from comparison because he came out of the gates so strong in 2017 and he's been disappointing ever since been disappointing to an extent, but he's a capable if average pitcher wasn't a bad year last year. No, it's not. And <clears throat> I watch him on enough. Like he has better stuff than uh, his stat line would lead you to believe. He just really does. He's one of these pitchers that does not try to strike people out. He's pitching to contact. Uh, swing strike rates have, have varied between above average and excellent in his entire career. His control is quite good. In fact, it keeps getting better. He's down to 2.36 walks per nine last season. Um, and all the injuries to the Yankee rotation, uh, there, there are three guys uh, that are varying levels of banged up right now. And I think that Herman absolutely will open the season in the rotation now with the news that uh, Carlos Rodones uh, has a mild forearm strain. He's going to be shut down for a little bit. So I think he was already trending toward being the fifth starter uh, because I think the Yanks are much more inclined to have Clark Schmidt uh, be a long man because he has the experience there. Uh, and Herman has been much more of a starter for them consistently, but you know, Herman on a team with that kind of offense and his solid skill set, uh, I, I like him, you know, he, he went 18 and four in 2019 because he kind of gives you, he keeps you in every game. He usually gives you some decent length. So uh, he's just one of those guys, you know, six innings, two or three earned runs. Yankee offense is good. I could easily see him putting up 15 wins this year. This is why I have a bias against contact pitchers, and this is a good highlight example of it because he gives up fly balls. He doesn't get the ball on the ground. I, I can take a contact pitcher if he keeps the ball on the ground. At Yankee Stadium where he is there, you don't 
particularly like that. That's why his his left on base percentages over the course of his career, 75%, 65%, 78%, 70% of it, 78%. It's just there's so much volatility when you start, when you walk guys and he's not bad on walks, but he does give up walks and you put, you allow the ball to be put in the air and there's a lot of contact. When the ball's put in play, you know, to uh, kind of go against Anthony's quote of when you hit the ball hard, good things happen for a pitcher. When the ball's put in play, a lot of bad things can happen. It's definitely true. <clears throat> and we've got him ranked 109th uh, among starting pitching. So basically we're saying that he shouldn't be drafted, but you know, I think that was when he was going to be the sixth starter. And now that he's looking like he's got a solid rotation spot, he does miss bats at an above average base basis. It's just the K rates haven't been there, but he does swing strike rates are above average. His ability, his control, walks per nine, is better than average. The one thing with him is the fly balls and, and the, the gopher ball. But, uh, you know, I, I think there's enough here where I don't mind Domingo Herman as my fifth starter. I don't. That mismatch between, and this is this is another great example of what we do here, that mismatch between the swing strike percentage and strikeout rate result stat versus indicator stat indicates exactly what you talked about. He doesn't necessarily look for the strikeouts. Maybe you should look for it a little bit more. Yeah, well, he he has the stuff to do it. Um, you know, he's I don't know. It's hard for me to like him because of his extracurricular stuff, but uh, I like watching him pitch. I he's got three solid pitches. All right, and tell us about Nestor Cortez because that's someone. Just general overall thoughts because that's someone we're also trying to price appropriately as we go through the draft season here. And people are all over the place with it. Most people are particularly down on him, but uh, some people still paying for him like last year was legitimate. And by the way, there's some support for it. He had a pretty good, damn good season in 2021 as well, too. So there is some support. And as you mentioned, you got to love the guy, but what do you pay for him? Well, I love the guy because he's just as entertaining as anything. We have him ranked 67th and his ADP is 32nd right now. Uh, I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle, which is sort of my want as a moderate human being. Um, his control is excellent. He misses way more bats than you'd think he does. Yeah, gives up a lot of fly balls. Uh, had a had a very fortunate strand rate, very fortunate home to fly ball rate last year. I think it's much more likely that he's a mid-threes ERA kind of a guy. Uh, but again, with that offense supporting him, and I know he hasn't pitched yet, but it, it was a very mild hamstring strain. If it was during the season, he probably would have tried to pitch through it, but they're just taking it really slow with him. He should be ready for opening day. Um, and I think he's going to have another good year. I mean, he's one of these guys that just strikes me as someone that will fairly consistently outperform their peripherals. All right, let's do the exercise of pitching slots with these pitchers we just talked about, because I think it's useful and I always like to think of it that way. And it helps you compare the price you have to pay as opposed to the price you probably should pay. Five pitching, st five starter pitching staff. Alex Manoa is certainly not number one. How comfortable are you with him as a number two? I feel better with him as a number three. I think there's a lot of of issues with the floor here that people are treating it like it's a high floor, and I don't see that at all. Christian Javier, certainly not a number one. I he's wouldn't a, be very comfortable with him as a number two either. And no, three. Three. Yeah. Borderline, not a borderline three, but you're not going to be able to get him into three because the price is just too high. So this exactly. is why. Yeah, there's just guys that I think you know. If you if you agree with what I'm saying about these players, you're not going to end up with any of them. Yep, Dylan Cease is a number one or bust, right? And I don't want him as my number one. No, he's a two for me. 
and Domingo Herman with the change in playing role. And this is a, with the draft advisory program. There are updates basically on a daily basis. And when an injury happens and the player role changes for a certain guy, projection's going to change, value's going to change. You're always going to be drafting with the most up-to-date information. One of the things we love about the draft advisory program, and that's what we're giving you now. Uh, Domingo Herman, is he a five or is he the guy you want at six or seven, you know, getting him as a, a streaming type of option for the back half of your rotation? I am higher on him than we are in general. And for me, it's because of that disconnect between the swing strike rate and the K rate. And we're looking, the software is looking at the K rate and saying he doesn't miss enough bats. He can't be a five. Uh, but I watch him and I, I think he does miss enough bats. Uh, I am fine with him as a five. All right, let's talk about uh, Joey Gallo. And I want to bring Jock Peterson into this as well, because I might be looking at him in, this, in the next pitch. So I want to go over this again. All right. <laughs> the next pick. Uh, Joey Gallo, you wrote about, and you're uh, you're optimistic on him a little bit. Are you you're, you're gaining? He's gaining a little bit of favor with you. And we talked about him a lot last year. And the thing with Joey Gallo is, obviously, he's a power-only type of guy. He has contact issues. And you talked about it last year. And the numbers bear it out there's something else going on with Joey Gallo besides just the shift and his contact issues because uh, quality of contact was down. His exit velocity was sub 90 for the first time in forever. Uh, so he's a power guy whose power seems to be slipping a little bit and the game is kind of moving away from him a little bit. And while he'll benefit from the shift to an extent, some teams are going to be able, the Red Sox did it in spring training the other day, pulling over an outfielder to recreate the shift in there, which again was my worst nightmare. <laughs> against this new rule in the shift suppression. Uh, but why are you so optimistic on Joey Gallo? Because last year you weren't optimistic at all. No, I wasn't. Uh, I think the shift thing has quite a bit to do with it for me. I do think that, you know, he's been very, very unlucky the last two seasons. Um, you know, he still had well above average exit velocities and just was not getting rewarded for them at all. Um, but also, and this is this gets into the, the non-quantifiable stuff that we can't really we can't pin down, but we just kind of know when something is going on. And, you know, having, having a guy that is struggling so mightily in an environment like New York or LA, it can just go very, very bad in a hurry. Oh, and it did in New York, didn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was persona non grata from like minute one. So now getting out of the spotlight entirely to, uh, could you go to a more out of the way place than Minnesota? If you want to get away from the spotlight, uh, I think that, you know, this could allow him to maybe rediscover some of that talent. He was a very talented bat. And I just, I'm not sure that he ever really recovered from the hand injury in 2019. It seems like there's a pretty clear line of a guy that had 93 to 94 mile an hour exit velocity. And then a guy that had 91 to 92 mile an hour exit velocity. And it may not seem like much, but two miles an hour is, is a big difference. Yep. You know, we talk, there's a, there's a clear line at balls hit 95 plus. Especially when that's basically your only tool. Exactly. And, well, I mean, he's fast too. He's actually a very good fielder. Uh, they were using him as a defensive replacement in New York because they didn't want him to bat anymore, but he still could play D. Um, but I, I think. I'm just picturing as soon as you said that, I pictured in my head with Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge and Joey mm -hmm. Gallo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there's some I've large humans there. Yeah, there's, there's some large humans. Yeah. Um, but Gallo, I could, I could, I can squint, and you know, it becomes wish casting to a point. But I could see him hit 25 to 30, and if that average crawls back above 200, he he could be useful. 
And again, the equation isn't all, all about what the player is going to do or what you think he's capable of doing. The equation is sometimes needs to include the price that you have to pay. And at the price you can get Joey Gallo for, he could return you a profit. He could be a contributor for that for the price that he's going for. Yeah, absolutely could. And he's he's looked good in limited action this spring. So, um, you know, it's spring training. But I, I can see a scenario where this works out. And uh, last week on the SiriusXM show, SiriusXM Fantasy Sports Radio, the Fantastics Inside of Baseball show, 11 to 1, Saturdays and Sundays, if you're not familiar, if you're a SiriusXM su subscriber. We talked about exit velocity and talked about some players. Jock Peterson came up. And I think Jock Peterson is dismissed because I think people, we talk about biases and we talk about what the thoughts that people get in their head and why the draft advisory program is so useful because it quantifies things that we only have impressions about. Everyone goes, Jock Peterson? If, strictly a platoon player I don't want anything to do with him but he contributes as a platoon player he absolutely does he was fifth in the majors in exit velocity last year oh, 23 homers what's wrong with that he hit 274 and that's a career high easily in uh, 300 and it's funny and in, in, to use football parlance for all you fantasy football guys out there you, you can handcuff J jock peterson and get yourself a pretty contributory player just by using Peterson where he's going to excel and having someone to add 120, 150 at bats to him. Yeah, no question about it. Um, that, that had the feeling of a career year for me. Um, I mean, San Francisco's not a great place for left-handed power hitters, Barry Bonds notwithstanding. Um, I feel like that was a career year. I feel like, you know, he's probably going to drop back down in batting average a little bit, be sort of a middling contributor there. Uh, but, you know, 20 homers, 60 to 70 RBIs, um, for a guy that's only getting about 400 at bats, that's uh, it's okay. You know, he's he's set uh, career highs in contact rate and exit velocity last year, and he's only 31, so it's not like time has passed him by. I think there's a place for him on a on a winning team. Listen, I love Park Effects as much as the next guy, but when your uh, hard contact rate is 52 percent, 15 percent barrel rate, 93 mile an hour average exit velocity, Park Effects largely become irrelevant, right? Yeah, it'll play anywhere. So it's in, by the way, I don't know what we're projecting. I'm just looking at the steamers and at-bats here, about 467 at-bats. If he just got 400 at-bats, 380 at-bats, again, use him. And if, depending on your format, if you have daily transactions, use him where he does well. Get someone to, hand, to handcuff to him to get you that extra 120 at-bats. And you're going to get a pretty damn good outfielder out there at good prices. We've got him forecast for 28 homers. How many at-bats? 450. Yeah, 450. I'd love it if he get 450 at bats. That would be great. Uh, he would. I think that's a little bit of a stretch. Um, but you know, it, I think he can hit 20 homers again. He's had some. He's had some platoon. His platoon has been more level in the past. It seems like he's losing ground in the platoon split, though. He just he can't hit left-handed pitching. Yeah, if you watch him, he just he flails like John Crock, Randy Johnson stuff. <laughs> And Joey Gallo was someone that we talked about in terms of that exit velocity outing as well. Uh, Byron Buxton is a guy that, um, again, we're looking at impressions on players, and sometimes you get a little bit of a sale on them because the thing with Byron Buxton is, and it's not a wrong impression. I'm not here saying every impression we have is incorrect. He's not a healthy guy. He's mm -hmm. not going to be able to give you enough at-bats. But you know what? <laughs> the uh, law of large numbers tells you there's going to be a 500-at-bat season in his career somewhere. If it's this year, you might be missing out. I'll be missing out. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm, I'm not involved I'm, at all. Huh? Yeah, I'm not drafting him as a as an outfielder too. I just I can't. I can't. He's a completely different hitter now. Um, the days of the of the nice batting averages are just gone. I think because all he is is a pull fly ball hitter now. So you know he's maximizing the power. That's nice. Most of his time in in the lineup. I, I guess. Yeah. I mean, when when you know your your chances are fleeting. I mean, the guy he has a he played more than ninety two games once in his career. This is his ninth season. Like the guy's just he's always hurt. I can't do it. Yeah, and the and the point is, as it has been throughout the show here, and as it is throughout the preseason you know, monitor the price you're going to have to get him at because there's a, there's a point where he's valuable and a good addition There's a point where you're paying too much for him. Yeah. And definitely in the top 25 outfielders for me is uh, you're paying too much. Teoscar Hernandez is in Seattle now and there's a power supply and power is becoming a little bit more rare. I keep saying this because it's important for context, 700 less homers last year than the year before in the major leagues, home runs are becoming less and less prevalent. So we might have to look at power a little bit differently. And a guy like Teoscar Hernandez, who had a 32 homer season in 2021, 25 last year and 60 less at bats, he can create some power. Uh, how valuable is it going to be in Seattle? We're back into a park effects question. Well, I think not only is he not getting the benefit of the new fences in Toronto that he would have, but he's got about a 10% ding moving to Seattle. So that's going to cost him a little bit, I think. He's had five straight years of fly ball rate decreasing. Uh, so that's going to tap into his power a little bit. And the guy does hit a lot of line drives, and he has excellent, excellent exit velocity. So he's still going to produce. Uh, but, you know, Hernandez is, is – He's coming off at outfielder 16. I just feel like that may be a little rich. Uh, depending on how see, yeah, but I think it has to do with the context of home runs and how you're feeling about home runs at this point. You've got a guy 25 plus homers at this point in the outfield. I think you have to I think you have to add a little bit of a premium to him. And it's so contrary to the thinking we've had for the last few years that the outfield is just deep and we can find a 20 homer guy on the waiver wires. It's just not true anymore. No, it's not. Man, I mean, sub-70% contact rate. It just feels like he's one of these guys, like we talked about Cattle Marte earlier, who just somehow doesn't seem to perform up to his skill set. Hernandez always seems to maximize every last bit of his skill set. Like he puts together stat lines that it looks like shouldn't happen. All right, we talk about uh, Matt Olson in terms of the exit velocity uh, show we did on uh, SiriusXM Fantasy Sports Radio, and I'm just looking down. These are just delicious numbers. Exit velocity is these are his career numbers now. Average exit velocity: 91 92-3, 92-3, 92-8, 92-3, 91-6, 92-9 last year. Guy hits the ball hard. I love him. See, I, I, so so much today has been me being negative about people. Uh, so it's refreshing to talk about Matt Olson, whom I adore. Uh, and I, I really feel like last year was a disappointment from my standpoint. I thought Olson would contend for the, uh, national league home run crown. So I'm going to double down this year and say, he's going to contend for the national league home run crown this year. I feel like he's a 40 homer guy in that park easily. I don't, he just didn't do it last year. 17.9% homer to fly ball, which seems pretty good, but in the context of his career, and it was 19.3 the year before, and he's had in his 36 home run season in 2019, uh, that home run to fly ball was 23.7 in Oakland, by the in way. In Oakland, exactly, exactly. And there's a little bit more lift. So the lift has calmed down a little bit in terms of launch angle, mostly 19 and 18% in Oakland, 16% the year before last, and 16% last year. But he deserves a little bit more in a home run to fly ball. 
And it's funny, even the expected slugging and the slugging, he out, the expected slugging was really low last year. He had a 507 in 2021, 467 last year. I don't know. These quality of contact numbers look pretty good. I don't know why the expected uh, slugging percentage took such a, a cut last year. Yeah, I'm not so I'm not sure either. I mean, I had 78 extra base hits. Yep. No, I, I love Olson. I, he's he's probably my number one target at first base. I'm looking at the two years. Let's look at 91 and 92 though. Just in quality of contact, his hard hit percentage went up, his barrel percentage went up, his exit velocity went up, his launch angle remained the same, and yet there was 50 points difference between his expected slugging for the two years. Well, I think 30 points of that is batting average. So that's yeah. That's what that would be the difference right there because he went from 271 to 240. So there's 30 points right there. Yeah. All right. Who else did we talk about in terms of uh, in terms of that uh, exit velocity? J.D. Davis is a guy in San Francisco, and it, we talk about park effects sometimes being irrelevant if you hit the ball hard enough. In J.D. Davis's case, I'm not sure that's the case. You you get to almost expect a lot more. He's been he's his exit velocity has been good, but he didn't get much payoff for it last year. No, he didn't. A 55 and a half percent hard hit rate, 16 percent barrel rate. Uh, you look at his expected slugging. We were just talking about that with Olsen. His expected slugging was 471 Davis, and he only slugged 418. J.D. Davis is a guy I, I really have a soft spot for. I think he's a very good player. Uh, some contact issues that had calmed down in 2019, but like a lot of guys, you know, the COVID year just seemed to throw him into a different, uh, different sphere, and now he's back to sw uh, swinging strike rates, getting close to 20. So the contact issues are, are definitely problematic, but there's power here. It's just unfortunate that he went to San Francisco where it will be minimized. Yeah, and those contact rates, the swinging strike percentage has gone up in recent years. That's kind of a sign of, you know, the, the word is a little strong, but it's kind of a sign of desperation for a hitter, isn't it? Because he doesn't chase and he showed good contact skills in the past. It's almost, it seems like a reach for power. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think this is just a, an example of a guy we talk about, people that are comfortable when they uh, they know they're going to be in the lineup every day. And Davis is a guy that has kind of the opposite problem. Yep. Like he never knows if he's going to be in the lineup. So I think he's he's really pressing often. And he showed you what he can do back in 2019. Uh, he had uh, 410 at-bats, hit 22 homers, and hit 307. Uh, and that was when his contact rate was improving with New York. I thought he was going to have that third base job for, you know, a decade. And now here we are. Yeah. Well, they just started spending money and bringing in some other infielders and it kind of messed up his situation in San Francisco. The big question as it is so often here in spring training is how many at bats does he get this year? If I put the over under on 350 at bats, what do you think? I'm going over. I think that, you know, San Francisco is not a great offensive team. They do have a lot of options in the infield, but Davis is probably the best hitter that they have in the infield. So I feel like he's going to rest some playing time away. So you go over 350 at bats and all of a sudden he becomes a mid teens to high teens home run guy. Yep. And at the price he's going for profit center. I think so. Yeah. All right. Uh, check us out on the Fantastics inside of baseball show on Sirius XM fantasy sports radio Fridays. And I'm sorry, Saturdays and Sundays from 11 to one Eastern. If you're a serious subscriber, if not, just pay attention to the podcasts here. And again, if you're on Spotify or Google or Apple podcasts, just uh, make sure you subscribe to us. So, you know, when the next edition drops here on the Fantastics inside of baseball blog, have a great day, everybody. And we'll talk to you next time. Have great drafts. Oh, See you later. Yeah. Let's go.